Pinocchio. A little wooden boy. Walt Disney's Pinocchio. A wooden boy. Exciting adventures. Spellbinding magic. Makes no difference who you are. You will love Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Rated G. Welcome back to Who's Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where the points don't matter, but the truth does. Uh, this week, we dove back into our classic golden age era of Disney uh, for the second outing. We did uh, the 1940 special Pinocchio. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, it was a, this was a doozy. Yes, we've had many doozies in the past, um, but I digress. Uh, I I am uh, Joshua Page, and then with me as always, my co-host and friend, Steve Molina. Well, number two on this list, guys. And uh, Doozy is right. This movie is, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really something. Don't take that as bad. No, 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 yeah, yeah. It's very hard. I understand it's probably hard to decipher when Stephen and I are being serious or sarcastic. That's part of the charm, I guess, but. Um, this no, was... I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a crime to say that the, this. This movie is a lot. This movie throws a lot at you. Um, yeah, it's certainly an upgrade from Snow White. It is certainly we're taking everything that happened from last time, and we're kind of just up in the notches in most of the departments. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, so. Josh and I are not going to be doing uh, the first time we've watched these movies because, again, we uh, Josh and I probably don't remember the first time we watched these movies. I have but, vivid memories of watching Pinocchio on VHS with the fuzzy tape, uh, plastic case being eaten away, and, and just lots of lots of painful, wasteful memories as a small, small child, but. Hi diddly d for you. Uh, I don't remember my first time watching this movie. No, 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 no. As always, we we grew up watching these tapes on VHS, and it was a lovely time. Back in my day, when the VHS was a thing, <laughs> was a what's you bigger? <laughs> and the what's McCallum? I feel like if any Disney character were to really appreciate a VCR, it would be Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Oh, of course. The- uh, the bitch was collecting forks. I mean, come on now. Hey, it wasn't a fork. It was a dingle hopper. <laughs> Listen, I put a couple dingle hoppers in my hair myself, and it's really, I mean, sometimes it just does the trick. What can I Did say? Did you hear uh, that they're doing a live action version of The Little Mermaid? And the person that they got to play Scuttle is Aquafina. So I can't, I wouldn't be surprised. I can't recall hearing that they're doing uh, live action Little Mermaid, but since they're doing many other of the of the classics, they're doing. I, it wouldn't surprise me, but Aquafina as Scuttle, the I have sea, not heard. The seagull. They actually it, have, have a pretty not. stacked cast. It's I, I'm probably not going to see it because I don't like these movies. But Ariel is the girl who played Moana. Wait, I'm sorry, you're not kidding. This is not satire. You're actually being making a serious statement. No, this is. 
100% serious. Flounder is being played by Jason, uh, uh, what's his face? Tremblay. Why am I blanking on his first name? No, you, you, you Jacob Tremblay. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Tremblay. Uh, what's his face? Sebastian is going to play, be played by Davi Diggs from Hamilton and Blindspotting. Oh, yes. That's the only news that I knew was that he was playing Sebastian. Because that's a strange choice. Great actor. I love him. But for Sebastian, it's a strange choice. Um, King Triton <laughs> is supposed to be played by Django Fett himself. And get ready for the biggest name out there. Ursula no. is going to be played by Melissa McCarthy. No, I did hear this. This is. I hate that you reminded me that this was a thing. So but let's readjust back to Pinocchio. We digress. So, do you want to get into the production, pre-production, all that uh, jazz? I, oh, I always want to get into all that jazz. You please, as always, take it away, and I'll chime in with all whatever. All that jazz. So, Absolutely. the budget of this movie is $2.6 million. So, it's double what they spent on Snow White and the Seven Doors. God bless. But the returnings were not as plentiful. Uh Overall, it has been $164 million, but that's cumulatively with every re-release that has come. Uh, I don't have the number for the actual release, though. So let's get into the production. So after Snow White's success, the public wanted Walt Disney to make a sequel to Snow White, and he said, no way. No way, because like, where do you even go from where it Good. was left off? It's amazing that, and I don't want to, I don't want to divert as we often do. Is that I, it's amazing that that early on, Disney Studios or studios in general were like flirting with the idea of doing sequels. Well, Walt was not because under his regime, there was never a sequel to an animated movie, and that was kept until nineteen ninety, 1990, yeah, nineteen ninety, with Rescuers Down Under. That's the I mean, first sequel that Disney made. Great sequel, for, just for the books. It's I'm not saying sequel. it's bad, but that's what broke the precedent. But it's funny that, like, someone, whether, it, obviously not Walt, but it's funny that someone in the media was like, let's do a sequel. And you're talking, like, late 1930s, whenever production was going on. And it's just funny because, well, you and I are part of the generation that is the sequel generation. Like, we're just the sequel and remake generation. We're inevitably part of it. So it's just funny that they were cooking with those ideas, you know, however many 80 years ago, you know? The actual follow-up to uh, Snow White was supposed to be Bambi, but they could not crack it. And Interesting. It, yeah, they couldn't crack Bambi for years. And it literally, it's the fourth or fifth movie that they ended up releasing it came after Dumbo so the fifth movie that they released it it's interesting that they conceived the idea even for Bambi that early on well Bambi is based off of a, uh, a short story I believe <clears throat> well I mean correct me if I'm wrong up until this point well no of course until this point we've only done this is only our second film but that early Disney was I mean, I know most of Disney, especially their classic lore, is based off of old stories. But there's been no genuine, there's no genuinely original uh, storytelling in these. It's all kind of like all riff off of some old story until, I guess, Fantasia. Um. Yeah, Fantasia is like is brand new. I mean, you at this point, these are all older stories. These are all old fairy tales, kind of. 
the thing about Fantasia, and we'll get to it next week, um, is that they take mythology and they take uh, pre-existing uh, legends and they use them to adhere to the music. So it's new material, but like with old toys, if you get what I mean. Well, it's very interesting because what, yeah, absolutely. And, and what's very interesting is what they're doing is that they're reworking stories that in a perfect kind of world is, are the kind of stories that like our generation's parents would read to us uh, in, in, in book stories, you know, like, or, or, or like our, our parents' parents' generation would like read story, uh, bedtime stories uh, to, to their children. And it's just funny because those same stories are being interwoven into palpable stories that are easily digestible for children uh, in like a lighter tone. They're given fun, bouncy musical numbers or like like comical villains and like these kind of elements that kind of make it more fun. And at the same time, the story's kind of the same. So what they're doing is they're just revamping and revitalizing um, these kind of timeless classics. And that's why these Disney movies in our generation feel the way that they do. Well, let's talk about the origins of this story, I guess. Yeah, of course. Since we're enmeshed in this conversation. It's based off of The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo uh, Collati, Mm -hmm. which was written in 1883. But this Pinocchio is not like Snow White, and it's not like the other grim fairy tales, because it's not a singular cohesive story. Pinocchio, when it was released, was a serial. It would be like a short story here, a short story there. And then they pushed, they pieced it together and released it as a singular book, which is why the story of this movie is all over the place because they're taking different elements of short stories and trying to stitch them together into a singular movie. Sure, yeah, no, I totally understand that. I haven't read the shorts. I haven't read the adventures of Pinocchio. I don't really plan on it, but apparently Pinocchio in that, in the book is like a horrible person. Like he's not a cute kid. He's a kind of a, the way that I kind of gauged what the people were saying in the behind the scenes of video was, and I'm tweaking it to my, sensibilities it's kind of the difference between david brent from the office uk version and michael scott (laughs) us version (laughs) you know there's sort of an innocence about michael scott and that's what disney brought to pinocchio um in the story he's just kind of a douchebag who's trying to like find a way to be a good person but socially is inept um so to not dive into final thoughts because obviously this movie calls for a lot of final thoughts, but it's really, um, I think that's part of what I was saying about like Disney adapting stories and making them like cutesy and family friendly. Like, so, so, like you can only go so dark. And I guess this is where generations change, where we've become very sensitive for better or worse or, you know, however you want to spend it. But it's basically the whole notion of Pinocchio being naive. That's the word that comes to mind is like this version of Pinocchio is like, He's innocent, like he, and we'll talk about it as we unveil the story, but it's kind of like, he's very, um, doesn't understand a lot of things about the real world. What's it called? After the box office returns of Snow White, Walt decided to splurge and 
moved out of Hyperion Studios and built his own Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California. And we'll get to this in probably the Dumbo episode, but the studio that what they built in Burbank, it's almost like everyone got their own individual room. Everything was like pitch perfect. But in a sense, in an artistic world, when things are on top of each other and chaos is flying, that tends to be a better creative environment where this is truly just an office. And it, again, it doesn't affect it this, you know, it doesn't affect much about this movie, but we'll definitely get to it toward Dumbo. Well, it's funny you're talking about like budget and expectations and studio and how all that interweaves, but it's one of the top notes I have here is that originally budgeted at $500,000, the development of the film caused it to go way over and uh, ultimately cost the film $2.5 million, yeah. making, it, making it one of the most expensive films produced at its time. They, one <laughs> thing you need to know about Walt is he never stayed within the parameters of his budget ever. Right. Dude, uh, that's wild. So let's get into the actual characters i guess yeah the original they almost put this movie on hold as well because they Mm -hmm. couldn't nail the uh look of pinocchio walt was frustrated by how wooden and puppet like the people were making it so milt call one of the nine old men did a test footage of pinocchio with the donkey ears and sinking Mm -hmm. to the bottom of the ocean floor Mm -hmm. And Walt liked it so much that it became the base model for what we know as Pinocchio today. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jiminy Cricket only appears in one of the uh, Pinocchio like short stories. He's only in one of them. And Pinocchio kills him. <laughs> because the Cricket tries to tell Pinocchio what to do and Pinocchio didn't like that. So he killed Jiminy. Very interesting for like an adult setting and again I don't want to divert but it's like that to show the characteristics of Pinocchio like clashing with trying to be like a human because obviously humans have these dark paths that they go down and trying to like do what's right and then that's the choice he makes in the, in the, in the original story I guess or in one of the original stories uh, versus this very uh, warm and fuzzy character who be who's just as important as any of the other characters but so for, um, like I, th- I think I said last week, Disney did something kind of different when it comes to his animation animators. Instead of people drawing like individual scenes because it would take too long, uh, specific artists were given characters mm-hmm. that they were go- supposed to work off of. Okay. So, so they would do, I mean, they would have assistants under them, obviously, but one specific person would be put in charge of like specific characters. So Taitla was known for his like strong characters and he was given Stromboli. Like this guy is also <laughs> the person who did Chernbog in Fantasia. So we'll talk about him more next week. Uh, Babbitt who butted heads with Walt all the time. Uh, he did the queen in Snow White. Okay. And he, ta- he took on Geppetto for this movie. Uh, Fred Moore, uh, who made cute characters like Pluto, he did uh, Lampwick 
the Pinocchio's oh, okay. friend. And it's yeah, kind yeah. of funny because La- he drew Lampwick to look almost like he did. <laughs> so <laughs> you're really watching funny. Lampwick turn into a donkey. You're watching Fred Moore turn into a donkey. It's funny you're talking about cute characters because um, like one of the notes I have here is that the um, the task of creating Jiminy Cricket was given to animator Ward Kimball. Yeah, I'm going to um, get to that. Oh, yeah, you were talking about it. No, I was going to say his, um, as an animation director, designed to make the character look like a real cricket, but Walt found the design too gross and demanded that the character be made more cute. And so Kimball ultimately removed the insect-like features, turning Jiminy into a little green man with an oversized head. Um, Wearing a tuxedo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Borrowing the logo of Johnny Walker Scotch Whiskey uh, to give him a tuxedo. Disney was pleased, even though... um, the character no longer resembling a bug, the animator uh, expressed unhappiness with his compromises, saying the audience only accepts Jiminy as a cricket because the other characters say that he is. Um, and I found that very funny because there's like a couple notes, I'll say for final, but it's kind of like the fact that there were people like Mel Blanc involved with this movie. Yeah, um, we'll get to that a little later. Of course, and I don't want to spoil too much, but it's it's that the this movie felt more like cartoonish in a lot of ways. Um, and I just think it's funny talking about these notes is that like you see it early on and it makes sense, like knowing the history of how it got that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ward, I, I read a whole book on him. It, he's a fascinating character. He was like almost, I don't know, Walt called him his genius because Ward like literally had a 300 track like train track he owned like his own fucking train and he built 300 feet of track in his backyard just to drive it Jeez. He, he's a sick he's a crazy man but he was given a soup scene for the dwarves in snow white it took him eight months to do this project <laughs> and the scene was cut walt felt so bad which is why he got the character of jiminy wow <laughs> it's funny when you see other characters that are favors because of prior engagements or like previous experiences where like someone didn't get a certain role or they wanted to make it up because of a certain decision that happened in a previous film. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, So actors, Cliff Edwards played Jiminy Cricket and he's a, though I guarantee most people don't know him right now, he was a famous singer and he was uh, one of the first uh, people to sell over a million records in the 1920s which is wow. crazy like he was a big the fact that they got him was like a big deal he's sure. a big name for an animated movie at the time mm-hmm. like i say at the time because animation was still like new you know up until this point walt disney had been doing the voice of mickey mouse himself you know yeah. it's like low budget like we're gonna get whoever can do the voice but now they get big stars Dickie yeah. Jones played Pinocchio, and that same year he was in a little movie known as Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Tell me more. They brought in a couple of actors to come in to do the voice of Pinocchio, but Walt was, he didn't like the fact that it was grown men trying to do the voice of a child. Sure. So he decided we're going to bring in a regular child. Hmm. Christian Rubb, who played Geppetto, who is from Austria. So that accent is real. It's not like someone trying to like someone make putting a weird, on a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
he actually influenced the character development of Geppetto because he looks almost identical to Geppetto. I don't know if you've oh, ever seen cool. him, but it, no, no, no. Yeah, he helped with it. Uh, they used him as a live action reference. Uh, That's cool. And as you said, Mel Blanc was brought in for this movie. He was brought in to play Gideon, the uh, cat. But Walt at the last minute decided, you know what? Let's keep the cat mute. It's funnier that way. So he yeah, yeah. only has one line in this movie and it is a sigh. <laughs> no, it's That's a really sneeze. Funny. It's really funny. So he was Bugs Bunny, but he was not good enough to be in a Disney animated movie. I was going to say, maybe it's because like Walt didn't want to create but it's like funny that this guy with such a notable anim- animated voice is in this movie, but not notoriously used in the way you'd think he would be. Yeah. And the last thing I'll mention is that it won two Oscars uh, for best score and best song for When You Wish Upon a Star. Naturally. And uh, the la- the next time that Disney uh, received both score and song is in 1964 with Mary Poppins. So wow. it took them 24 years to re-get that, which is crazy. You wouldn't think that that's Not possible. Disney, of all, of all companies. So right? disrespectful. You are starting. This is going to be wonderful. All right. Like Snow White or Wes Anderson films that would follow, the film begins with the storybook. This time, Jiminy Cricket, Cliff Edwards, is sitting on top of the story of Pinocchio, singing When You Wish Upon a Star. Jiminy opens the book, and we zoom into the book and pan down the crooked streets of the town. The only home with lights still on is Geppetto's workshop. In first person, we hop with Jiminy inside, which was pretty wild. You know, like for a minute, we literally become Jiminy, and we hop. I feel it's like, good. It's a good way of introducing I feel like, in a way, that's the earliest indication that we can make that Walt wants to build rides. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's an accurate way of looking at it. Jiminy is revealed again, only this time his clothes are ragged. Jiminy makes his way over to the fire and warms himself up, literally taking a piece of coal and rubbing his ass. <laughs> Looking around, Jiminy sees countless music boxes and clocks and trinkets. But what catches Jiminy's eye is an unfinished marionette. Geppetto, Christian Rubb, and his cat Figaro come downstairs. Geppetto puts puts the final touches on the marionette and names it Pinocchio, though Figaro and Cleo, the goldfish, do not like the name. To celebrate the creation of Pinocchio, Geppetto starts his music boxes. Pinocchio and the animals dance. All the while, Jiminy moves around the workshop trying not to be seen. Suddenly, a wall of clocks goes off. It is time for bed. Geppetto, laying in the bed with a long pipe pontificating, uh, asks Figaro, wouldn't it be nice if he were a real boy? Geppetto then notices he forgot to open the window. Figaro reluctantly climbs on the balcony to open it. Yeah, that's a well-trained cat. Literally, like, Figaro, I forgot to close the window. <laughs> and the cat you. just, like, gets up and does it. 
I, I wish my cat did that shit. I was going to say, you got to train your cat a little better. Figaro reluctantly climbs the bed. The cat lays down in Geppetto's bed, but Geppetto notices a wishing star outside. Look! Look! The wishing star! Starlight, star bright. First star I see tonight. I wish I may. I wish I might have the wish I make tonight. Figaro, you know what I wish? I wish that my little Pinocchio might be a real boy. Jiminy laying on a violin is trying to sleep, but can't because of the clocks ticking and Geppetto's snoring. Jiminy shouts quiet and all the noises cease. From the sky, a star makes its way into the workshop. The blue fairy, Evelyn Venable, apparates inside. She goes to Pinocchio. Good, Geppetto. You have given so much happiness to others. You deserve to have your wish come true. She taps the marionette with her wand, and Pinocchio, Dick Jones, comes to life. But he is still not a real boy. To make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. Up to me? Prove yourself brave truthful, and unselfish, and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! Jiminy, tired of watching from the sidelines, enters the conversation and explains to Pinocchio that he needs a conscience. Yeah, you need a conscience. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. I'm gonna uh, bully you into being my... I'm gonna bully you into accepting a conscience. Of course. The Blue Fairy takes this as a voluntary measure. She knights Jiminy as Pinocchio's conscience. Jiminy even gets a new outfit. Jiminy then, ineloquently, attempts to explain what a conscience is. Pinocchio does not understand. It wasn't hard to understand why he wasn't understanding. <laughs> the rambling made no sense. The solution is that if Pinocchio will ever need help, all he has to do is whistle. Then they sing, give a little whistle. Can we take a step back before we move on? Absolutely. I, I We should have noted this from the beginning, but did you like the fact that Jiminy could break the fourth wall? Um, I didn't mind it. It kind of made him a narrator in a sense. Not a narrator. It made him like... Uh, it made him more self-aware, I guess. It, it helped. I guess it would help uh, in the storytelling narrative. It didn't mind me, but it was jarring. Like, I made note of it every time in my head. I'm like, oh, okay. I completely forgot that they did that. Mm -hmm. And to just watch him look at you and go, hey, this is what's happening. Like, I don't know. It, it was jarring, like you said. Well, again, like, I know that these, these, these films, these stories are designed for children, but they're also, like, designed in a way that he's the conscience. He's supposed to be kind of like an inner monologue. The way I see it is, like, between Pinocchio and Jiminy, it's kind of like this, like, inner wits battle of like what do i do what's right and wrong but he and so also has a weird jiminy also has a very weird sensibility like he gets very handsy with one of the marionette dolls or not marionettes but one of the dolls in geppetto's workshop you know yeah yeah you know he's very frisky it's very strange well he clearly has his own flaws as well like he's late to work at the very moment that Pinocchio was supposed On to make, like, On the first day, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's his first day of work, and he's late. So, like, clearly, like, the character is flawed. Like, the character is not... Like, the Blue Fairy is omnipresent, and she's, like, perfect, and she's just, like, whatever, a spiritual character that represents the unknown, or whatever you want to... I don't know how deep you want to get. But it's kind of like, that. that's not a character with designed flaws, where, like, we're... Like, she's special. 
person where like Jiminy Cricket's kind of like, he's part narrator, part voice of reason, but also part like flawed human in his personality in the sense that like he goes from rags to riches, but he has to earn his way and he has to still work for his, his, his earning. And like, it's very interesting because they treat him like a human character. And like, so when he breaks the fourth wall, it's kind of like, Oh, it's a reminder that like, Hey, I'm a child watching this. And this is someone telling me, kind of telling me the story, but also he's part of the story. And he, I don't know, is not completely on the outside. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting uh, topic. Absolutely. I don't really know what to make of it, but I did also forget that that was kind of a thing. Manu, it's been a few years since I've watched this one. (laughs) But I digress. The fairy then leaves. Jiminy then ineloquently attempts to explain what a conscience is. Pinocchio does not understand. The solution is, if Pinocchio ever needs help, all he has to do is whistle. They then sing, give a little whistle. The song ends with Pinocchio crashing to the floor, waking the house. <laughs> Geppetto with a gun tries to find out what's going on. Pinocchio pokes Figaro, who jumps up Geppetto's nightgown. The scare causes Geppetto to shoot. Uh, chaos is afoot. <laughs> it was really funny with that whole sequence. I hope Geppetto was wearing underwear. Yes, one can, one can only hope. Um, uh, seeing Pinocchio on the floor, Geppetto picks him up. As soon as Pinocchio speaks, Geppetto thinks he is dreaming. He pours water over his head, but Pinocchio can still talk. Geppetto, Figaro, and Cleo are exuberant and celebrate by dancing. The party is quickly ended when Pinocchio accidentally lights himself on fire. They then all go to bed. The Pinocchio's questions drive Figaro mad. It's very strange that he was sleeping in the same bed as his father. Well, I mean, he is a toy at this point you know it's really kind of i don't know it's a child the next day the town awakens geppetto gives pinocchio a vest an apple and a book for his first day of school also on the city streets are honest john worthy uh oldington foul feather walter Catdell, and giddy gideon cat just your run-of-the-mill, fast-talking, anamorphic fox and cat, you know? Just, you run into those occasionally. Uh, oh, I do every day. What's funny is they're the only animals that we see that are, like, able to communicate with humans. Uh... I mean, there's the donkey that ov- that we'll get to later, but that's a human that was transformed into a donkey. You're saying it's that I'm blurred saying, line versus like Figaro and uh, Cleo who are animals that act like animals versus these characters who are animals that act like humans. I, The dynamic is off where Gideon and Honest John are like 50% animal, 50% human, where Figaro uh, and Cleo are like 80% animal, 20% human. I would say they're even like more ninety percent, but like, well, like get on their feet and stuff and dance. But like, I don't. Maybe these characters also were uh, not to spoil, but maybe they were on Pleasure Island and they were humans. And animals. No, that still doesn't make sense because even when the kids turn into donkeys later, they still act like donkeys. I don't. I don't fucking know, man. Well, I that's I my. I don't know. Immediately, it pulls them apart from everyone else. That's quite anyway. a uh, quite an observation. The pair pass a poster for Stromboli's new puppet show. The pair then see Pinocchio and are instantly taken. 
John then accidentally bumps into Pinocchio and offers him an easier way to success through acting. As everyone knows, that's the easiest way to success. The easiest. Well, it made, uh, what's his face from uh, Boogie Nights a lot of money at the beginning. <laughs> Pinocchio is pulled off his path as John sings Hi Diddly D, an actor's life for me. Jiminy overslept on his first day. Rough stuff for Jiminy. So disrespectful. Uh, but catches up to Pinocchio. He hops onto John's hat and tries to talk sense into Pinocchio. Giddy, seeing Jiminy on John's hat, takes a mallet and smashes it over John's head. John's head is stuck. As John and Giddy are occupied, Jiminy warns Pinocchio that he has been tempted. Jiminy tells Pinocchio to go to school instead. Pinocchio walks off with John and Giddy and not wanting to snitch, Jiminy follows Pinocchio. A couple bad decisions here. <laughs> Stromboli, Charles Judals, introduces his new star, and the show begins with I've Got No Strings. The song ends with coins flowing on stage. Jiminy watching thinks that maybe show business is the right path to go. Quote, what, did, what does an actor want with a conscious anyway? Which... Man. Maybe the most honest line of the whole movie. Uh, pretty, 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 pretty. Spot on. Especially I'm rewatching 30 Rock right now and watching Amazing. Jenna, oh who not definitely does not have a conscience. No, not at all. Meanwhile, Geppetto sets out of his workshop to look for Pinocchio. I, I don't know. You've known Pinocchio a day, you know? Stromboli is static counting all his money he plans to go on a world tour with pinocchio as his star excited pinocchio says he's going to tell his father the good news stromboli does not want his new prize going anywhere it locks pinocchio in a bird cage that sequence was pretty uh terrifying too you know the just a change in like stromboli's attitude how they're literally laughing one second, carrying him to the cage, and then he throws him in the cage, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it'll it'll uh, it'll come up again for one of our our special awards. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. Uh, where was I? Uh, put put that bird cage. Cage. The carriage is off. Jiminy, wanting to wish Pinocchio luck, walks into the carriage aghast. Jiminy tries to open the lock, but can't. Both Pinocchio and Jiminy begin to cry. The blue fairy appears inside the carriage. She asks what happened. Pinocchio regales a tall tale. His nose begins to grow to the point that a bird's nest is on its end. Jiminy implores Pinocchio to tell the truth. He does so. The blue fairy frees them from the cage, but says she will not be able to help anymore. Which proves to be false but we'll get to that when we get to that right well it's interesting because it's playing into um like the hero's journey if you will in the sense that like there are rules about like side characters and um what do you call them mentors can only help so far until like figure out the moral for themselves i mean that's the whole point of this movie and um so it's interesting that they have these little like hiccups in the movie. I don't even want to call them hiccups. Like they're important beats of the story where like those mentors show up but they can't bail them out. Like not completely. Like it's not that easy, you know? Um, that there are rules. And so 
Yeah, but very... I feel like this was a pretty easy Deus Ex Machina, you know? Oh, of course. And that's the whole... I guess that's the whole point. It's like reminding you, like, hey, here are these... I don't know whether the conscience is like like the conscience is a literal metaphor. It's a literal cricket, but even the conscience has its own. Like I said, he has his own flaws, and then the whatever uh, fantastical uh, mentors like the blue fairy kind of show up, and they're like, "Hey, here is your lesson. Like, don't lie. Tell the truth. You know, uh, be a good person." But hey, I, as far as I'm going to help you for now, <laughs> you lie again. So help me God, I will not help you. Um, at the Red Lobster Inn, home of the uh, wonderful shrimp. And uh, I don't know. I well, that's why I made a note of it. It was just funny that it was named the Red Lobster Inn. I have not been to a Red Lobster in maybe more than, maybe almost. I have never been to a Red Lobster. I, uh, my aunt had a birthday there many, many, many moons ago. And I remember like the... Um, coconut shrimp was pretty good but that's about it but i digress red lobster it is at red lobster honest john and giddy are celebrating john breaks the coachman all charles judell's about yeah, he Pinocchio. played both uh he played both strapoli and the coachman so he's literally a thick italian accent <laughs> one minute and then the next minute he's playing an englishman he's a very uh diverse personification of evil you know He's a fun Italian character. He hits <laughs> all spectrums. Uh, yes. Uh, the coachman tells the pair that they were shortchanged if they want real money. The coachman is willing to pay for stupid little boys. John and Giddy are gleeful until they hear the children will be going to Pleasure Island. Pinocchio and Jiminy on their way back into the workshop decide to race home. Pinocchio is immediately Pinocchio is immediately Pinocchio is immediately stopped by Honest John. Pinocchio tells John about Stromboli. John diagnoses Pinocchio as a nervous wreck, then does an examination, coming to the conclusion that Pinocchio is allergic. The yes, only rough stuff. The only solution is Pleasure Island. Isn't it always? Isn't Pleasure Island always the cure? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Jiminy looking back sees Pinocchio on the coachman's coach. Pinocchio on the coach meets Lampwick, Frank Darrow. Lampwick is excited to go to Pleasure Island as there is no school nor rules. I just the want kid- to make a note. Frank Darrow is the voice of Peter Pan, if you didn't catch that. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's cool. That's that's I like that that crossover. I didn't know voices crossed over this early. A lot of uh voices crossover. That's cool. That's that's a that's a fun fact. Uh, the kids are loaded onto a boat. The kids arrive at Pleasure Island, a massive amusement park. Uh, at first, Pinocchio and Lampet go to the Rough House for a good scrap. <laughs> a uh, that's a, that's how you know this movie is dated. When he said the word, uh, we, we should go in there for a scrap. <laughs> um, it's funny, and we talked about it last week. <laughs> how we talked about it last week. How that there's that blurred line between we talked about like racial stuff about that blurred line between like, you'll see where things are outdated. Um, but even the dialogue, especially pleasure Island, it's like, Oh, this is filled with imagery and, and um, terms and habits and, and occurrences that you just would never see in a children's movie, even 20, 30 years later. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just funny how that early on they're like, Hey, this is, and this is similar to Snow White in the sense, like we're telling an adult story from a child's perspective, but like it's also palpable for the era it came out in. And it's very clear for this movie that it's all 
here for all the good scraps <laughs> of Pinocchio. Um, but as always, I digress. Uh, then to the model home pavilion, which is a mansion filled with expensive items that kid, kids can break uh, all the while cigars are being passed out. Um, later that night, the park is completely destroyed and completely empty. Pinocchio and Lampwick are in a billiard smoking. Pinocchio takes a huge drag from the cigar and goes green. I love the interpretation that they like kind of, they just make him seem like a, uh, like a stereotypical like cartoon drunk. His face changes color. He's hiccuping. It's just. I love it, but it makes me question Pinocchio's anatomy. Does he have lungs? Well, I don't know his. <laughs> I don't think you or I are supposed to be questioning that far in. Because he's like, what? He's a boy? He's a. He what? Uh, he's a wooden know. boy, so I don't know what that. He's given obviously means. rules about being a boy, but he's. <laughs> I don't there know. Just something to think about. There are obviously rules to the characters. God damn it! Why do you do this? I literally didn't think about that at all, and it's a valid point. What um, are the rules? What what are, are the rules? the rules? Jiminy enters and interrupts the game. Lampwick and Jiminy argue, ultimately leading Jiminy to want to leave. As he tries to get off the island, he sees the coachman inspecting donkeys. The second donkey talks. It is a kid who has been changed into a donkey. Jiminy runs back to Pinocchio. At the billiard, Lampwick has begun his metamorphosis, to put it lightly. Pinocchio grows a tail and donkey ears. Jiminy finds Pinocchio and then makes a run for it, climbing up the mountain and jumping into the water. Yeah, if I ever am stupid enough to have kids, uh, not to say that people who have kids are stupid, but I of don't, course. you know, I don't want kids. This, yeah, if, yeah. But this would be my smoking PSA for them. If I, I would show this to them at a very early age and say, this is what happens when you smoke. Children, if you smoke cigars, if you smoke anything, this is what you're going to look like after. That's all you yeah. got to show them. And like... And it, I think that will psychologically scar them not to smoke cigarettes. Anymore. And then you go into the next room and you just rip a huge You condone that sort of thing. But <laughs> The kid comes in, Daddy, what are you doing? Smoking. <laughs> and it would be great, like I imagine. Like you, just, <laughs> then, you turn around and you have fake donkey ears. You turn around, <laughs> I'm smoking. You want to light up? Smoking. <laughs> you have a little headband with donkey ears on it just to trick the kid. See, that's good parenting in my mind. That's good. Uh, Jiminy and Pinocchio finally make it back to Geppetto's workshop, but it is completely empty. Absolutely. A luminous dove flutters down from the stars and gives Jiminy a message. See, this is what I'm saying. She is not helping, but she's helping. I don't get it. He's like, hey, I'm not going to help, but like, I just want to let you know if things are actually okay. <laughs> Geppetto is alive, but has been swallowed by Monstro the Whale, which, how did that happen? This is why... This is what's happened with the Italian Navy. You see this? It was very frustrating, but it was very confusing watching this. I'm like, how in the... Where do you think Pinocchio went that you went out on a boat to begin with? How long has Pinocchio been gone that you got swallowed by a whale and are running out of food? The house is covered in cobwebs. How long has it been? I don't know. In my mind, this is like a few weeks at most. I, I... I couldn't tell it you the timeline. I don't know. 
Without hesitation, Pinocchio runs off to find his father. At the cliff, Pinocchio ties a rock to his tail and sinks, the bottom, sinks to the bottom of the ocean floor. Fish follow Pinocchio and Jiminy confused, but flee when they hear Monstro's name. Monstro is asleep on the ocean floor. Inside him, Geppetto, Figaro, and Cleo. Geppetto and Figaro are fishing. Quote, I never thought it would end like this, starving to death in the belly of a whale. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Who really imagines themselves dying like that? I guess someone who's bringing their cat and goldfish <laughs> to go, I don't know, to what was the, I, I don't know, to go look for, uh, are they look? Are they even looking for Pinocchio? What is yes, even they're their looking for Pinocchio? I just still do not understand how they ended up in the ocean. <laughs> Monstro awakens and swallows a school of fish along with Pinocchio. Jiminy was not swallowed, and tries to get in. Father and son are reunited. Geppetto warms Pinocchio up with a blanket and notices his ears, but there isn't time to discuss this. No First, they must discuss an escape plan. Must. Geppetto says Monstro only opens his mouth to eat. Pinocchio has the idea of making the whale sneeze and by burning wood. Smoke is then seen coming out of Monstro's blowhole. Very sexual. Very, as, very sexual. As Monstro sneezes, Pinocchio, Geppetto, Figaro, and Cleo make their escape. But the whale is in pursuit. They narrowly escape by swimming through a cave. Monstro slams into the rock and is not seen again. Somehow they all magically get on the shore, though how the cat and the fish and Jiminy get to the shore, I have no idea. Uh, it was one of those Friday the 13th seven <laughs> moments is where there's a dog one minute, the next minute the dog is gone, and then they're <laughs> right where it needs to be. Uh, that's Jason Takes Manhattan. Yep. Part, part, oh, you said part right. seven. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to correct. Just for the record, I don't want. I don't want any fans. No, no, no. You're correcting you. Right. I'd rather. On the shore, Geppetto finds Pinocchio face down in a pool of water. Back at the workshop, Pinocchio is laying on the bed. The blue fairy's voice is heard. Prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and someday you'll be a real boy. Pinocchio transforms into a real boy. He awakens and talks to a crying Geppetto. Father, what you crying for? Because you're dead, Pinocchio. No, no, I'm not. Yes, yes, you are. Now lie down. But father, I'm alive, see? And, and I'm, I'm real. I'm a real boy. You're alive. And, and you are a real boy. It was funny. It was heartwarming. It was very, as I get older, like, it's funny, like, talking about, like, last week being cynical and, like, not really trying to vibe with, like, animated movies. Like, I watched this and actually felt some, like, I'll say put some of this for vinyl, but it's, like, I felt genuine emotional feelings that I didn't know I had. And it's weird, because I'm, like, why do I feel this way towards these characters? And I guess there's that little part of my frozen heart that grew three sizes that day, but I digress. No, I get what you're saying. And the animation of that sequence is uh amazing the way in which the subtleties in which they like transform him it, it's astounding uh it's good it's good um but let's let's wrap this thing up <clears throat> uh geppetto looks up to see his son as a boy once again the music boxes play and they celebrate jiminy goes out into the window 
thanks the blue fairy a gold medal emerges on Jiminy's jacket uh, which officially certifies him an official conscience uh, it's official in light of Clarence getting his wings in uh, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful life. life but this was before which is really funny because I did not make that connection until I saw that and I was like huh this looks a little familiar Clarence, um, Clarence. Oh, Clarence, you got your wings. I want to be alive that's, again, Clarence. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, when You Wish Upon a Star starts to play uh, about the end. Uh, we've made it. The end. It's over. Yeah. All right. Then, as Josh and I noted last time, we are uh, doing awards for this topic. See how it goes. So tell me, Josh. What is your best song, even though I am quite sure we have the same answer? I, I actually think we may disagree on this. Cause oh, my, really? Well, my runner-up was When You Wish Upon a Star. Okay. Uh, which is noted, let's just note right here that this is officially, I actually had the trivia note open. I didn't say it before, but it's a great time to note it. Uh, this went on to become the official Disney song. Uh, and it was used, uh, it was ranked number seven in the 2004 AFI list of top movie songs of all time. It is the highest ranking song on any Disney animated films list. Uh, this is as of, I don't know what year it is. I think now's a good time to just say that it's my pick. Yes. Uh, So, uh, So while we're talking about it, I just think that it is the most iconic song that is in this movie and arguably is in any movie that Disney has subsequently made. Yes, there are other songs uh, that are arguably better and there are other songs that are like I listen to more. But when it comes down to it, When You Wish Upon a Star is like as iconic and as soon as you hear that song, you automatically just like hit like a nostalgia bubble and that's why it had to have been my it's a, choice. Yeah, of course. It's about as fundamental as Disney songs get. There's a reason it's the opening music when you see the stupid uh, stupid. There's a reason you hear the music you see the fireworks and you, you or when we were growing up the little blue logo of the little white uh, whatever comet going over to create the little castle logo and that was always the final notes were when you wish upon a star. So it's like there's no, there are no words like if you and I ooh I could tease this for like our top songs of all like top Disney songs of like you know what I mean like the all time because like because the music is like, the music in all these films are iconic so so then tell me what your pick is I, yeah, went, since you are going with something different you I went man. I went with Stromboli's uh you know Smash Drinks I have to go with or Pinocchio's hits. We're um, all just puppets tangled in strings. Very catchy. <laughs> Is that an Avengers reference? Yeah. Um, one, Age of oh, Ultron. Well, Avengers making a Pinocchio reference, both franchises now owned by Disney. But yeah. that time, no, they were at that time. Never mind. Yeah. Vertical integration. Um, I've Got No Strings was the most catchy. It felt the most Broadway to me. Having Pinocchio up in the spotlight, he falls. They laugh at him, and his nose goes in the hole. And then the, the, the little the dolls with him, and they, the dance sequence. Um, 
Yeah, it was great. I thought it was blue when you wish upon a star out of the water, but I get the other songs more iconic reputation. Alas, we will uh, move you're on. Crazy man, I, I like you, but you're, you're crazy. I like you, but you're crazy. Best animated sequence. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Monstro, the just entire Monstro thing. I think animation-wise, it is crazy how meticulously done each ripple of the water is done. It's mind-blowing. I'm not saying that is the best sequence in the movie. I'm just saying, as far as animation goes, it yeah. blows me away. And that's why I had to pick it, because it's best animated sequence. And animated-wise, this is like as pitch perfect as it gets. You took the words out of my mouth. I have nothing else. I have nothing had no strings again as my runner-up, but Monstro is really... I'm a big fan of that part. But it's a, Monstro was really between just feeling the genuine terror of the moment, but also just the way it was drawn, like you said, with the water and just amazing and the fire and the smoke and just like the blowing of I, everything about it, the way everything moved. It's a very intense sequence and it works. They really nailed it and I really have nothing else. And what's your best voice actor? Couple runner-ups. Um... <laughs> I don't know if I can really give him even a runner-up since he doesn't have to be said he doesn't really have any dialogue. I just, it was a funny thing to mention, which we've Who? said. Which one? Mel Blanc. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I feel like it's not even a true runner-up. He has no the actual dialogue. Um, I'd say Christian Rubb is Geppetto, which, like you said, is authentic German accent. Uh, Austrian. And, yeah, sorry. Uh, Christian Rubb with, with an authentic Austrian accent. Um, Cliff Edwards as Jiminy Cricket as a runner-up. My the one I went with was Charles Judel's Stromboli specifically. Well, I guess I was both of the him and the coach, but Stromboli is really what came to mind. Um, with that boisterous accent, it's just very empowering. It was very um, it's the one that stuck stuck out to me the most. And then learning that he had done the coach driver as well only gave him more credibility. So that's my answer. Wow, two for two for the villains with you on that one. Uh, I went with Cliff Edwards as Jiminy for basically the same reasons I went with When You Wish Upon a Star. It's just an iconic voice. Uh, very soothing, very comforting. It is the conscience. I respect that, but please tell the good people at home your uh, most most traumatized moment. I feel like you and I have to have the same one on this one. Like, it has to be I feel like there's Island. Only, I feel like there's only one answer to this. It has to be the Pleasure Island donkey transformation <laughs> <laughs> very specifically the tr the pleasure island donkey transformation treasure island as a whole is pretty disturbing treasure island is a disturbing and story i'm gonna yes, be honest with, with pirates fact, and, and I, I i can't take away from the fact that like there were a lot of traumatizing sequences in this movie like a lot uh you know a talking fox and cat coming at you with a mallet is pretty terrifying um, a whale eating you, a very well-drawn and scary-looking whale eating you is terrifying. You know, there's a lot of terrifying stuff in here. But this one takes the cake. Watching children transform into animals for having fun is just like... And watching it as a kid, it scared the shit out of me, too. So um, that has to be the answer. Go the on. Yeah, it was specifically the way it plays out. So, like, I just want to make a reference now that I've seen some familiarity because I like when we have two or more movies that I can, like, reference the ones before. And it felt 
obviously not on purpose. Uh, I'm sorry, obviously not on accident. It felt very similar to when the queen transforms into the old witch in uh, Snow White in the sense that like even the shadows on the wall, like that was the moment that really sold it for me as watching this as a grown adult, like being like, okay, it's traumatizing to see how scared Pinocchio is, but then like to cut to the shadows and to see the kid, um, what's his name? Not Lance. Lampwick. Um, sorry, thank you. Lance, to see Lampwick, thank you. To see Lampwick turn into the donkey from a shadow's perspective makes it almost more terrifying because like you're not really watching it happen. You're watching a point of view and it's skewed and like to see a shadow of it makes it more terrifying because it's embedded in that same kind of like gothic, if, if you will, if you want to get dark, it's like that same gothic um, presentation that like Snow White dabbles with where it's like, it's almost in vain of like a Dracula or Frankenstein kind of thing where it's a classic horror, like a character's gasping and like also it cuts away from the horror and like you're only seeing a perspective of it. So to see it the way it was done and then it cut back and the donkey's just, <laughs> he's just squealing and kicking and like Pinocchio's just terrified and he's only half transformed and runs away. Like it's truly a horrific moment. Not just that, but uh, not sorry to interrupt, but. No, it's, I, I mean, you know where I'm going with it. The honestly the most terrifying sequence is not even the transformation it's when you cut to the coachman interacting with the donkey children and one Mm -hmm. of them can still speak like one of them is still a child mentally it's still a child and that was truly terrifying to me as a kid because i'm like holy shit what if like i transform into something like that like it's it's crazy it's truly mortifying and like watching like it's funny that we like one of it's one of our favorite categories it's like it's very relevant because and we say it we've said it before obviously but it's just like looking at how movies have changed especially animated films and kid-friendly films it's like you don't see stuff like this you don't see imagery like this in animated films anymore so no you don't uh it's very notable you know what that's a great segue into final thoughts so i'll start it this time i agree walt and his team felt that after snow white they had learned so much and they actually looked back on snow white and felt that they could have made a better movie so that's what they tried to do with pinocchio while I don't think that the plot is as clean as Snow White and the Seven Dwarves because Snow White is essentially bread and butter. It's very much like beat for beat what you would expect a fairy tale to be, although for the time it was revolutionary. But Pinocchio takes the narrative and just throws it all over the place. I didn't realize until now that's because of the source material But on the whole, this movie every 15 minutes is shifting tone in a very drastic way. So I think from an animation perspective, they took what they learned from Snow White and propelled it into the stratosphere. This movie on a technical level is still one of the most astounding things I've ever seen. But I feel as though the story doesn't hit all the beats as well as it should because it's jumping all over the place though i do admire the 
though I do admire some of the beats that they took, like Josh was saying earlier, not every kid movie is willing to turn kids into donkeys. You know, they don't make horror for children like this anymore. And I guarantee if you showed, I said this during Snow White as well, but I guarantee if you showed this to uh, your children or nieces and nephews, they would love it as much as a kid 70, 80 years ago would have. But I also feel like kids today would, I don't know if they'd have a better appreciation for it, but they would definitely realize something is different about this movie. Maybe because it's 2D, but you know, that's my final thought. Um, no, of course. I think that's, um, um, there's something about this that it kind of overlaps with Snow White and what it did for its era. But like you were saying about them kind of, um, what do you want to say upping the stakes, but everything about this movie feels bigger. It feels like production wise, everything was, I think I said this early on, it says everything is taking a, a bigger step. Um, this felt more like, it, it was very strange. Cause like, it was ironic that like the first note name that I picked up on was Mel Blanc. Cause that's someone I we grew up with, you know, um, it's just funny because the, the tone of some of this movie, especially some of the characters, feels closer to the Looney Tunes than Snow White ever did. Um, certain moments, like um, characters like Honest John and them, like like characters bonking each other over the head, and like um, the characters at Pleasure Island felt more like the Seven Dwarfs. Um, they felt more like animated in that in like a traditional sense that you and I know, like in a silly sense. Um, and yet at the same time, there's this very strong emotional core that's dramatic all the themes of Pinocchio growing up the way he did wanting you know learning how to become a real boy or to eventually sacrifice a part of himself in order to become uh like a real person you know what I mean like it's just this whole the themes of him and his father and their their, their relationship with each other is just something you never had in Snow White like those those emotional arcs just don't exist because that story doesn't necessarily need to call for it um it was a very mature second outing for disney everything was kind of like upped emotionally like the like humbling life lessons how jiminy cricket is learning as much about being a, a good conscience as pinocchio is learning about being a good person um no that's a really good point um yeah and i really liked that there was no true villain i this was the most that stromboli and honest john and even monstro where they're kind of like these representations of just kind of the world and so what, for me, my big takeaway is like, it's almost like mischief and deceit itself or the world itself is the real villain. So you're putting Pinocchio in this journey where he has to become real and like become like a, a human and understand what it is to become a human. And you're not pinning him against a, a wit, an evil witch or a cartoonish villain. You're pinning him up against the real world, which at the time is just a kind of a terrible place to be no matter what between it's getting duped by Honest John and whatever his sidekicks or getting uh, whatever tricked by Stromboli into thinking you're going to be like an actor. And then you're really like, Oh, you're firewood. Like my favorite line, no, firewood um, only to like end up at pleasure Island, which is the worst place ever. Uh, but it's a place with no consequences. And yet you've got Jiminy Cricket and he was trying to be like, no, no, this is all wrong. And so like, there are so many morals about right and wrong, but it's like very like, deep about how it's not really playing this black and white sense of like, here's good and here's evil. It's kind of like there is that blurred line of like, there's a reason why Pleasure Island seems like a fun place and that it's, it's a literal carnival. 
Um, and then it ends with this giant climax with this horrifying whale who's sneezing and there's fire. Um, it, it, even the note that Pinocchio like doesn't understand fire in the beginning. Uh, only at the end, he has to build a fire to to save him and his father. Like, there's a lot of like emotional arcs in here, in terms of like story and characters that is very mature in comparison to Snow White, and that's why like it resonated with me. Is it as good a film or better? Like, I don't think it. I think they're interchangeable. I think they're both equal for different reasons, but like, it's certainly a more mature outing for me, which is like made it incredibly special. Because even as silly, like I said, as it got with like like I noted with Mel Blanc in the beginning. Uh, it's No, you make a good point. And I just want to say with my point, it's not that I dislike this movie at all. Sure, like, sure. Like you, I think they're practically even. I just think that, yes, this took more mature swings, but as a film itself, it's not as cohesive. Like I said, every 10, 15 minutes, there's something brand new, just being like big entity being thrown in your face. It's constantly veering. It never stays on a course of what it's doing. It's constantly changing. Yeah, it's literally like you're constantly being breathed in and out by Monstro. You're in that constant state of stasis for going. Oh, I mean, that's how it feels. I mean, I really felt it this time as an adult, which was funny because that's those were not feelings I had watching Snow White, and yet I appreciate them both for completely different reasons. Some similar, some for very similar reasons, but that's all it, man. Cool. So then you ready to give your pick of the week? I am. Um, Aiken to last week, I'm going to go with a Universal animated film. Uh, another John Trolls Blue- too. Trolls to the uh, world tour. Um, if a follow-up Don Bluth film this time, uh, we're going to go to the 1988 Land Before Time. We had uh, name dropped it last week, but it's the classic film with dinosaurs. I feel like these movies, as I had said last week, a lot of these movies will probably be forgotten by future generations, which is like really heartbreaking. But like, I don't see them being preserved unless like people do something with them. But there's also not a lot here at the same time. Uh, for, just like American Tale, Land Before Time was just as, if not more so, uh, imperative to my childhood growing up with animated films um, as any other Disney movie. It's just as important to me, to my growing up. I can recall watching Land Before Time just as much as any other Disney movie. Um, coming of age story about, you know, the dinosaurs separated by an earthquake and Littlefoot loses his mom, spoiler alert, to the stupid uh, sharp-toothed T-Rex, whatever it is. Um uh, it's it's devastating it's one of those like, this bleeds into that territory that we're talking about that they don't really make movies like it anymore because it wasn't afraid to try and be like hey things are bad and characters die and it's like horrific and sad um like they i, I guess they do that still but not to nearly to the effect that they used to back in the day um uh, i don't know finding nemo is pretty heartbreaking yeah, for yeah, for 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 a moment, you know, it's they gloss over it pretty quick, but it's still de- it's still devastating. It's still, I, mean, I don't know. I can't don't say see... that I watch. Uh, what was the last uh, Frozen Two? Was the last Disney one? I don't know. I feel like Pixar hits see. the notes better than uh, like those heavy notes, like Inside Out. I'm not saying oh, it's sure. just a death, sure. but it's like equally as mature. Um, they're the ones who know how to do it modern day for sure you look at Pixar movies that can like feel like you're going to, they're going to bring you to 
to a, to tears in a way that like you wouldn't necessarily feel with other animated movies. But that's the way you I feel watching like older animated movies, like 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 Land Before Time. Land <laughs> Before Time. You know, I hear the music and I'm like it makes me emotional. It's very strange. I think part of it's just a nostalgia thing and like whatever I have going on in my own brain. But even like like Littlefoot's mom gives a whole mo- like dialogue before she dies in the rain. And it's very sad. But all that to say is it's a, it's a great story and it's all about, you know, these dinosaurs are have to learn how to bond and shit and whatever, man. Like they go look for the Great Valley and supposed to be great things there. There's no cats in America and there's obviously a theme about getting to the other side and whatever, man. Like it's some heavy shit. That's some, <laughs> some wicked wild stuff. Um, nah, yeah. It's just one of those things that because I grew up with it, it was, a, it's an important part of my animated films i'm gonna stick with the animated uh theme that, here good. and i'm gonna roll with the punches but please good uh, choice i remember watching those movies as a kid myself sorry, yes there were like 14 of them <laughs> i think i stopped after like the fifth one it's, um, it's pretty wild but please tell the good people at home your, no, i think uh, i stopped pick. after the fourth one uh but my pick of the week is spirited away the miyazaki film wow i think that it is just as wild as Pinocchio like it's a kids movie that's just as mature and just as wild as Pinocchio you have people turning into animals you have weirdos interacting with a child you <laughs> you have uh i don't know it's it's a modern telling of a fairy tale uh spirited away but in a japanese uh perspective which makes it very different where Pinocchio is a fairy tale told from an American perspective which is the norm now but it didn't used to be like when mm. Snow White and Pinocchio came out it was like groundbreaking that Hollywood is telling like a an Americanized version of fairy tales that's my pick of the week if you have that's good if you have a choice uh watch it with subtitles because it's a lot better but oh they always are Hey, that's just my opinion. Um, that's Studio Ghibli, right? Yeah. So on the, HBO uh, Max. Anyway, I think that ends this episode of Who's Filmography, Is It Anyway? It's a good uh, note. As always, you could find me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart, and you could find Josh and I on Instagram at Who's Filmography, where we will be posting weekly drawings pertaining to uh, the topic at hand. And we will see you next week. Be sure to bring, um, actually, we don't like to endorse drugs, but if you want to bring some sort of uh, additive to Fantasia, it definitely doesn't hurt. Only if it's legal, of course. You know, if you're, you know, we only condone that which is on the market. You know what I mean? Of course, nothing else. Yeah, you're going to want something to watch those dancing mushrooms. I'm very, very excited about those dancing mushrooms. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Adios, folks.